Well, I think we could just stay in this atmosphere all night. <laughs> Amen. He is worthy. We're going to be doing this for eternity. I don't know about you, but I get pretty excited when I think about that. <laughs> you, think, you think eternity, you can do that for eternity? Just worship the Lord? Amen, amen. I'm excited about that. I really am excited about it. I get excited sometimes just thinking about going to heaven. <laughs> I, I said to someone tonight that, um, you know what? Do you know what most people are going to say? The first thing they're going to say when they get to heaven? Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, we just might do that. <laughs> no, but I, I am confident if you have accepted Jesus Christ and your Lord and Savior and you're living daily with him, you are going to heaven. Amen. It is a guarantee. It's the best guarantee you can get. It's not a 90-day. It's not a one-year. It's a lifetime. It's an eternity guarantee. I'm excited about that. Amen. Well, I'm telling you, I'm excited to be here with y'all tonight. It is like coming home. I see so many faces here that I've known for years. I won't say how long because that might give away my age, but it's been a long time. And uh, I'm, I'm honored to be here. Pastor Kent, Pastora Jenny, thank you. Always honored to, to be here with you guys tonight. I'm always excited to share what the Lord is doing in El Salvador. El Salvador is in Central America, and it is the only country that bears the Lord's name. The translation of El Salvador means the Savior. So, uh, you know, we're walking on the Lord's territory every time, wherever we go. So, um, the name of our uh, ministry is called Abigail Association. Um, we've been there 14 years, and God has done amazing, amazing things uh, during this time. And I, I try and have, I have this little joke that I say, I'm just trying to keep up with him. But, you know, to be honest, that is the truth. <laughs> I'm just really trying to keep up with what he's doing. And so I'm just going to take a few minutes to share a little bit about what Abigail Association is doing in El Salvador. Um, the technical team asked if I had any slides or anything like that. And I'm going to be honest, I don't. Because everybody in El Salvador still has to wear a mask. You can't see anybody's faces. You can't see their smiles. And I'm, all, I'm really done with the mask. And so it's kind of depressing for me <laughs> to see people in the mask. Hopefully when I go back in a couple of weeks, they will be mask-free. We can see their smiles again. And the next time I come through town, we will have some, some good photos of our, of our people. But um, the Lord has given us great favor. Um, the Lord has blessed our ministry. And I can tell you it's because of the prayers that come from this church, uh, the support that comes from this church, the prayers that come from other churches. I mean, God has just really uh, blessed us and opened some doors. And uh, if you don't know anything about us, we are about Jesus. Everything that we do has to glorify his name. Every member of our team has to be able to lead someone to Jesus. If you're not about Jesus, you're off the team. Uh, I'll just give one quick testimony because we had, a, we had kind of an emergency situation in our, one of our clinics, which I'll tell you about in a little bit, um, and we had to get a doctor in really quick. Now, normally I'm very, very cautious about who we get on, bring on, on our staff, you know, what's your Christian background, when did you receive the Lord, can you lead someone to the Christ, all of these kind of questions, but we needed a doctor like the next day. And so we were like calling around. There happened to be a doctor who lived in the town, in the little town where the clinic is, and she was available. And so she came to work for us um, temporarily. Um, come to find out she was a Catholic lady, which I have nothing against the Catholics. They're just not saved all the way yet. And so, um, but she came on our staff and she was 
a great doctor. I mean, her personality was great. She really loved, but she was so curious about the prayer that happens in the clinic. So we start our, our clinic every morning with prayer. If we got 20 people late in line, those 20 people have to wait until we have an opening prayer to open the clinic. And so she was curious about this, and I would go and talk to her because she really was such a great doctor. Everybody was commenting about how great she was. Well, long story short, she then got saved in the clinic, and she is now leading those prayers in the morning and is one of our great soul winners in that. So Dr. Floor is now a Christian. Because she came into, so I, I really just get thrilled about how the Lord works in mysterious ways. So um, we do operate two full-time medical clinics. Um, there again, all of our staff, we're all about sharing Jesus in these clinics. The country's very poor, um, and so, of course, there's always need for medicines. There's always need for food. We have the, we've been trying to follow the footsteps of Jesus where he went out and he met the people and he met their needs and then he gave them the gospel. And so that's what we're trying to do also. We, we, we have them come into our clinic. They can get free medicines, and they can walk out with Jesus as well. And so um, we have the two clinics that operate. Uh, we, have doc, we have medical doctors. We have gynecologists. We have dentists. Um, we have nutritionists now. So we have, we're trying to increase our, our services to be able to reach more people for whatever need that they may have. Um, we, this past year, were blessed to open a mobile clinic. And that has been like an amazing thing because now we can go everywhere. We can go all over El Salvador. We're not limited to a building. Uh, we have tents. We have generators. We've got a full lab in that thing. We can go out and set up anywhere. And uh, we always invite a local church to partner with us because if you go through one of our clinics or one of our mobile clinic outreaches, you have to receive prayer. You have to go through the prayer ministry section to be able to get your medicines. I've always said no prayer, no pill. Yes, it's true. And so um, we partner with the local church, and so that church will do the follow-up. Uh, so you can automatically increase the, the attendance in your church. You can increase, increase the number of souls that are saved. Um, they went out yesterday. They saw 192 patients, and I think 17 or 18 people received the Lord yesterday. So glory to God for that. And these are people who wouldn't normally have access to a clinic. We try to go to places where there is no clinic. There's no medical attention available. And so uh, we're trying to go where the, the, the need is the greatest. And uh, these people, when we show up, they're just excited to, to be able to have the free medical attention. Um, we have a waiting list right now of our, uh, I think we're scheduled through the end of August on our outreaches. And so we have people contacting us saying, can you come to our village? Can you come to our little town? Because we have no, we have no help. And so the word is getting out through the churches that we want to help. And so just keep praying for our team. I mean, they, I'm, I'm done. We started doing this medical outreach, going out and, and taking this clinic out. Our staff is like super excited. They're like, we have a little chat and they're like chatting about where they're going to go and when they're going to be and all this kind of stuff. They can't wait to get out on the road. They can't wait to go out and to share the gospel. So the Lord has really opened those incredible doors for us. And I'm thankful for that. Um, we survived COVID, obviously, thank the Lord for that, and we, um, we had to shut down a lot of things. We had to shut down the clinics. We had to shut down our feeding programs and all of that. We just this past month, the beginning of April, just were able to open all of our feeding programs again. So we have six children's feeding programs. Thank the Lord for that. We're feeding a little more than 300 kids a day, and so that's, that's a huge blessing because the moms also receive training. The kids 
receive Bible training as well at the same time. It's not just here's your plate of food and God bless you. We're actually trying to uh, in, in, incorporate the gospel into what we're sharing with them. And so that's really exciting for us. Um, we still have our senior citizen program. Uh, I was actually talking, is Rhonda in the house? We was talking to Rhonda this morning, and she's been to El Salvador, and she was so excited. Do you still get to go to the senior citizens? And yes, we do. Uh, we're still ministering to the senior citizens. We lost four of them due to COVID, but, you know, I was okay with that because I know where they are. I'm excited that they, have, they had a chance to, to receive Jesus and to go on to be with the Lord, and so we're now still uh, in the in the works of trying to increase this program. Uh, I was up there uh, a, week, a few weeks before I came to the States and we had 45 in attendance, which is a little less than what we normally would have, but they're still a little shy about coming out. They're still you know, being very cautious and we respect that, but uh, I'm excited that they do wanna start up again. So thank the Lord for that. Another thing that we have started since I think I was here last time is we have now been uh, blessed to open a Bible Institute to train pastors and leaders. And this has been an eye-opening experience for me, first and foremost, um, because of the level of training that pastors do not have in El Salvador. And so we, uh, I'll just be very honest about what we found out in the first few weeks of this. We had, we started with 30 pastors and leaders. We had four of them who were not assured of their salvation. And they couldn't scripturally show they couldn't, they couldn't scripturally show you like the Roman road that assured them of their salvation. And so we have to realize that the level of education that we're dealing with in El Salvador is much less than here. And so we have great instructor there, a great director of the Bible Institute. So he took these guys aside and showed them. And so now they're assured of their salvation and they can tell that with someone else. So the, the level of training that we need to do in El Salvador, it's, it's tremendous. We have a lot of work to do in this area. And so we've started with 30, 30 students. Um, it's a year-long program, so it's not like three weeks and you get a certificate and you're done. This is a very intense training. We did a lot of screening before we accepted the people into the program. Um, we had to ask questions like, are you married to your wife? Are you, do you have more than one wife? I mean, things that normally wouldn't happen here in the, in the States, at least we hope they wouldn't happen here in the States. Um, we had to go through this to screen the, the students to... To, to come into this program because we, we don't want to teach just Bible. We want to teach biblical principles of living because they're going to be the ones standing in the pulpits and in the leaderships of the churches who are going to be the examples to the other people in El Salvador. And that is a great need. And so pray for our Bible Institute because uh, we're getting ready to start a next, another cycle uh, in a couple of months. So we'll have two cycles going at the same time. Um, I don't know where the Lord's going to take this, but I'm telling you, we've got a waiting list for people to come in into this, into this program. And so I'm super excited about that, how the Lord has done that. Um, I know there's always number of people in the crowd, so I'll give you guys some totals from 2021. Um, we saw 9,266 medical patients. We saw 1,251 dental patients. We gave 32,298 meals. That's a lot of beans and rice right there. Um, we gave 37,365 medicines. It's a lot of medicines that we were giving out. But the number that excites me the most is that we say that we had 770 souls joined to the kingdom last year. Amen? Amen. <laughs> but let me tell you the most exciting part. We're just now at the May 1st. We've already passed that number from last year. <laughs> God is on the move, man. He is on the move. 
I mean, after COVID, it's like people, there's not one person in El Salvador that you can ask that was not touched by COVID or they know somebody who died. I mean, it really hit the country hard. And so we lost medical, we lost medical doctors. We lost the only um, pediatric neurologist in the country. I mean, there's gonna be a lot of things that's gonna take a, take a while for El Salvador to recover from this. But when that happened, I remember the first day that we opened our clinic, reopened our clinic after COVID, one of the ladies who came in first, she's like, my husband died, I wanna know where I'm going. So people were coming to us asking about the Lord, asking about their future, asking about eternity. So this, I mean, the Lord has just like expanded the, the harvest field and opened it up to us. And so I'm really excited. I think that's why our teams are so excited to go out because they know the harvest is right. It's time. We're going in and we're harvesting the souls. And so I'm, I'm super excited about that. And just continue to pray for our team. Pray for their strength. I mean, they're going in places that are difficult. They're going in places that are not safe. And so just continue to pray for our team. Um, some of you guys may remember that we have, we have worked with the gangs in the past. And we're still um, in certain areas working with the gangs. There's a new uh, law that's been passed in El Salvador that is kind of uh, hindering our ministry with the, with the gangs. Um, there's a new law that if you have any kind of gang-related tattoo, you can be arrested and put in jail for 30 years. No questions asked. And so um, our guys are literally on the run. We had 30 guys in a Bible study every 15 days. They're on the run now. It doesn't matter if they've received the Lord or not. The government doesn't care. And so we just, I, I truly pray for them because I know some of them have received the Lord and they're in a tough spot. I mean, if they go to jail, it's not going to be a pretty. Uh, you have no idea what the jails are like. Uh, if you've ever been in a jail in the States, don't even imagine that because it's nothing like it. And so I, I, I ask if the Lord really does put it on your heart to pray for our guys because they, their future is very dark, um, saved or not. And so just pray for them because they truly do need it. And pray for us as we try and figure out ways to minister to them and to their families without getting our staff in any kind of uh, situation that they would be at risk as well. So it's a, it's a tough situation right now. I'm not going to go into it too much, but just really pray for El Salvador in that area because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of spiritual battles right now, and I do believe it's because that that country bears the Lord's name. And so just pray for El Salvador. They, they truly do need it. So... So that's where we are up to now. So, <laughs> you know, the Lord always does things so, so, so good and so exciting. So um, I, I'm like, okay, so everything's running smoothly. Um, what do we do what next? What's, what's next? I'm never satisfied where I am, okay? I'm always wanting more. I'm always wanting the Lord to do more. So last year at one point, um, I heard through a friend that there was a clinic in an area of El Salvador where we're not working, we're currently not working, that had been abandoned before COVID. So it was, uh, it was owned by a group of Mennonites uh, here in the States, and the doctor had retired and came back to the States. So the clinic was basically abandoned, okay? And so this friend of mine, she told me about it, and she goes, um, you, I don't know if you're interested in opening another clinic. I'm like, well, you know, I just, you never know. We might want to open another clinic. And so I looked where it was on the map in El Salvador, and it's, it's ironic that it is in an area of El Salvador that has the highest concentration of Muslims in El Salvador. So we do have Muslims coming in to El Salvador. We have had pastors, Christian pastors, 
Pentecostal pastors, Baptist pastors, leave the faith and join Islam. That's a real prayer concern. We have people in their congregation who have left Christianity and are going to join Islam. I, I, love, is, I love Muslims. How many know that they need the Lord just like I needed the Lord? They need the Lord. And so, but the, the way that they're presenting themselves is a little deceptive, in my opinion. So you can go, there's one mosque that I know of. The mosques that we have aren't really the typical dome-like mosques. They're like storefronts. And so there's this one that I saw that had uh, on its billboard or whatever out front some writing in Arabic, so I knew it was a mosque, but it had a, a picture of a little mosque. But it said in the writing on there, it said, Jesus is Elijo de Maria. Jesus is the son of Mary. True? Jesus is the son of Mary. Yes, we all believe that. But we as Christians believe that Jesus is the son of God. They do not believe Jesus is the son of God. But if you're an uneducated, first by educational schooling, and if you're uneducated in the Bible, you say, oh, they believe just like I do. This church is on my street corner. I can go in there. So they're, they're drawing people into their congregations because they're helping, they're meeting physical needs first, they're giving shoes, they're giving plates of food, they're doing all the things that we're doing, we're trying to win them also, it's a little competition here, but they're also using a little bit of deception in that. And so um, when I saw the location of where this abandoned building was, I'm like, hmm, I think I kind of like to move there and get our get our gospel being put out there in that area. And so um, I contacted, I was able to get the contact for the Midianites uh, who, had the, who owned the building. And so we started talking. I had a couple meetings with them. I really wanted to buy the building, okay? And so they really didn't want to sell the building. They just wanted to rent the building. So we went back and forth. I mean, if you know anything about Midnights, which I love, but they are really slow people. They're really relaxed. They may take three weeks to answer a message. They just don't get in a hurry about anything. And I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go. So, so it took a little while for us to have these conversations. And so, um, so they're like, well, we have to talk to our board, which is in the state. So we went back and forth and back and forth about this. Well, during that time, as things began to shift in El Salvador, I, was started, to, I started to get advice from my, my, my people, uh, movers and shakers in the country, uh, people that I respect, and all this kind of stuff. And they began to tell me, whatever you do, Janice, don't buy in El Salvador. It's not the right time. The country's unstable. You should not invest. If you're going to do anything new, you need to rent. I'm like, well... Maybe I should take their advice. That could be from the Lord. So I contacted the Mennonites again. I'm like, look, okay, guys, I've really been getting some good advice that I, I'm willing to rent. So what's your price? Well, they come back to me and said, well, we don't really want to rent. We want to sell. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, I was like. I was like, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to do that now. Can we go back to plan A because plan B is not? And so we were doing this back and forth, very kind and, I mean, wonderful people. I loved them. I loved them. But we were going back and forth on this, and there was a lot of, I was just getting so much conflicting. And I mean, I didn't know what to do. And so I was like, well, I don't know. I just don't have any idea what this is going to look like. And so 
but I knew, I knew that I wanted to be in that area. I mean, it, it, it's not me. I wanted the ministry to be in that area. I knew that we need to put a foot in there. I knew that somehow the gospel needed to get in that area. There's not a church around where this uh, abandoned building is or none of that stuff. So it would just be, it would just be perfect. You know, you just know something would be perfect. Well, I came to the States um, the, the end of March, and I took a sabbatical. Something I'd never done, um, but I, I was tired. Uh, my board sent me to rest, and so one of the things that I was wrestling, uh, wrestling about was this clinic because I felt like we needed it, but there was, no, there was no door. The door was closed. There was confusion on every side. There was no compromise. Nothing was happening. And so I'm in my little cabin in my sabbatical one morning, and I'm like, Lord, I mean, I was just giving it to the Lord. As, as plainly as I can say it, I'm just giving it to him. Saying, I am so confused. I have no clue what you want. I have no clue what this is supposed to look like. You have put this desire in my heart, but I can't do anything about it. I really just don't know what I'm going to do. And so I, I opened my Bible that morning, and I, I opened my Bible to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And here's what it said. Uh, it said, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so on 7th of April, 22, I wrote on the sideline of my Bible, What have you prepared for me to do? Because I was just that confused. I didn't have any idea. I was frustrated. About 30 minutes later, I get a message from someone in El Salvador, the lady who had connected me with this clinic in the first place. And she goes, hey, how's it going? She said, um, I just want to know, did you guys get all settled on the clinic? When are you going to open? She started asking me all these questions. I'm like, look, it's not going to happen. We can't come to terms. It's not going to work. The door is closed. We're moving on. We're going to look for something else and blah, blah, blah. And she goes, I'll get back to you. She calls me back in half an hour. Now, her family owns land that's next to the clinic, okay? And her family was the family that originally sold the land to the Mennonites to build the clinic. It's a nice clinic, so it has an apartment, a two-bedroom apartment on the side so the staff could stay there. I mean, it's totally, totally fixed up and ready to go. And so she said, well, she said, I talked to my family, and we're going to buy that clinic, and we're going to let you use it rent-free. <laughs> So we have rent-free for two years. We made an agreement rent-free for two years. At that time, if the environment of the country has changed, we can buy it. Or we'll continue to rent it at a very low cost, is what she said to me. So I'm just telling you, what plans did the Lord have prepared for me to do? For me to sit down, shut up, and seek his face. That's true. Because I was pushing and pushing and pushing and got nothing. So we're going to open another clinic. <laughs> so then a couple weeks later, she sent me photos that they're already in there working on the apartment part, got it all cleaned up and all this kind of stuff. I may go back and it's totally ready to go. I mean, I don't know. But I'm just saying that if Lord wants to open something, if he wants you to minister in an area, don't push it. He will open the door. So we're not going to have any call. We're not going to have to spend money to buy it. The only thing we're going to have to put in there are tables and chairs, desks, and medicines, basically, and some little equipment. So I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just in awe of God. I'm just in awe of God at how he works. I mean, who would have imagined that we would get it for nothing? <laughs> so praise the Lord for that. So we're going we're gonna to go into the area of the Muslims. We're going to minister to them. Uh, 
we're going to have some training with our staff of actually how to witness to Muslims because there's some things that, you know, some tactics that you should learn and how to specifically address them. We're going to go through that training as well so that we'll be prepared to be a light, a light in that dark area because it's very dark. So pray for our team and just, get, just give God glory with us for, for him giving us that building. Amen? <laughs> I love it when he shows up and shows out. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> so um, also, when I was, when I was in, this, uh, in this sabbatical, uh, sometime in the, in the first part of April also, I was studying and, and just trying to um, restore my mind and my spirit and my physical body and all this kind of stuff. And I was really, really praying and, and seeking the Lord one day. And the Lord directed me to prepare a sermon about restoration and he specifically told me that it was for this church now I spoke last week in Tampa at a church there and could not give this okay so I'm not saying this is for the body as a whole this could be for one person here tonight but I know as pastor and I were talking that it's better to err on the side of being out of the will of God than it is to be disobedient. So I'm going to be obedient tonight in what the Lord has told me to share tonight. So shall we talk about a little bit of restoration? Amen? Okay. So just a brief overview of what restoration is. So restoration in the dictionary in good old Webster's is it's an act of repairing or renewing something. So you can restore an old house. Somebody can restore your job to you if you've lost your job. An, an archaeologist would go in and dig up the bones of a dinosaur and restore that dinosaur by putting the bones all together. So that's the example of uh, the definition of, of restoration from the, from the dictionary. But what does the Bible say about restoration? What is the meaning of that? Well, in the Bible, restoration is always in abundance. I like that version better than the Webster's Dictionary. And so when something is restored, it is always better than it was to begin with. Amen? So God has promised us a better way, a better life, a better future for ourselves and for our loved ones. What's going to be coming, what's going to, what's coming our way soon, probably maybe sooner than we think, a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be restored. It's going to be restored better than it was before. It's going to be better than the Garden of Eden. It's going to be a better, a new way of life. So there are also very, there's very many uh, familiar verses that we know that have to do with restoration. I'm just going to run off a couple of them. You don't have to look them up. But Joel 2.25, a lot of us can quote that. I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Amen? That's a great one. We love that one. Jeremiah 30.17, I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds. Amen? Psalm 23 and 3, this one is just like a drink of cool water for your, for your soul. It says, he restoreth my soul. That's a beautiful thing to think about, that he just comes in and restores your soul. An example of restoration in the Old Testament was Elijah, when he went to the widow's house and he brought her son back to life. So he restored her son. That was an incredible miracle. But in the New Testament, Jesus was the ultimate restorer. Amen? So he was amazing in this area of restoration. So I want us to look specifically at a few incidents um, from Jesus and see what we can glean that would apply to us today, okay? So let's go. Um, I want us to look first in, chapter, in the book of Mark, chapter 3. If anybody has their Bible, 
Um, these are not going to be on the screen. I did not give this to the guys. But it's Mark chapter 3. This story is actually mentioned in three of the four Gospels. It's the man with the withered hand. So I'm just going to read starting in verse 1. It says, And again he, meaning Jesus, entered the synagogue, and there was a man there with a withered hand. And they, which is the Pharisees, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal this man on the Sabbath. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Jesus said, come here. And he said then to the Pharisees, he said, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. So he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he was restored after he stretched out his hand. Now, we know that the Pharisees in the story were trying to trap Jesus. That's, that's relevant. But I don't, I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on the man. Because I believe that we, some of us, are like the man. So we do not know how long this man had had a shriveled hand. The Bible doesn't tell us that. Luke tells us that it was his right hand. And so if he were like the majority of the population, he was right-handed. So this really hindered this man to have his right hand uh, withered and disabled. And so the other thing that, that we don't know is how it became withered. He could have been one of these guys who was out one day working on his ox cart, and the ox could have been still attached to the cart. The ox could have taken off. He could have got his hand caught. Something damaged his hand, and it never recovered. We really don't know. He could have gotten a cut. It could have got infected. We don't know how his hand was withered. But we know that he carried it around, useless, but it was still part of him. He could never put it down. It was always with him. Uh, he was always reminded of its uselessness. He would look down and see his hand and reminded that it had no use to him whatsoever. I probably imagine also that half of his body was weak because he couldn't use this hand, so it probably meant he didn't use these muscles. So this probably whole side of his body was probably weak from this. And he was just carrying around this useless part of his body. The other incident I want to look at is there's a lady mentioned in Luke 13, verse 10. Again, on, on the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And there was a woman who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and he said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Now, we know nothing more about this lady at all. We know nothing about her except that she had been crippled for 18 years and that she was stooped over and probably twisted in some way. She could have had arthritis all these years that had caused her to stoop over. She could have had an accident 18 years ago that had left her crippled. But what we do know is that she still went to church every Sunday, but she was dragging her crippled body with her. She still loved God still wanted to go to his house. Um, she may have had grandchildren that she wanted to pick up and put on her lap, but she couldn't because she was bent over and had no strength. And so she had had 18 long, painful years. She drug her body wherever she went, always reminded of her situation. The interesting thing about both these cases, if we think about it, is that neither one of them needed restoration. Let's think about that. I mean, both of these people were carrying on in their lives. She was going to church. He'd gone to church. 
So they were still carrying on, even though they had these infirmities. They had learned to live with their issues so long that they may have even forgotten how they happened. 18 years, that's a long time. They had probably mended and carried on. They had adapted to their misfortunes and made all the necessary adjustments to live their lives. They were not dying. They were still living. So they had learned what they could live with, and they had learned what they could live without. So in reality, these people were doing just fine as they were. They didn't need restoration to live their lives. They had learned to live this way. They had accepted it. They had taught themselves little tricks to get around their situations. I'm sure the guy with the crippled hand, we know it was his right one. I'm sure he had learned to do everything with his left hand. Riding, cooking, chopping, whatever he needed to do. And I'm sure the little old lady who stooped over learned not to put anything on a high shelf in her house. So they've learned, they've learned to live with these infirmities. They've learned to live with these useful things in their lives. They've learned to do it. They've accepted it. They built their lives around not being whole. Secretly, secretly, perhaps, just perhaps, they had come to love their illness. It had become their focus. It had become their life. It had become their way of getting attention. It had become their identity. Perhaps it had stolen a little place of God in their hearts. Their illness became their all-consuming passion. They could not imagine life without it. One more story It's a fascinating story of restoration that we find in John 5, and it occurs at the Pool of Bethesda. Now, there in Jerusalem, there is a gate in Jerusalem called the Sheep Gate, and there's a pool near that gate, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there, who had been an invalid for 38 years, When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for so long, Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Now, I had to stop right there because I actually had a hard time believing that Jesus actually needed to ask someone if they wanted to get well. I would have liked the man to jump up and say yes. But Jesus had to ask him. And the guy says, sir, in verse 7, sir, The invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. I'm trying to get in. Someone else just goes down ahead of me. Jesus asked this guy if he wanted to get well, and the man starts making excuses. Maybe after 38 years, he thought his life would never change. Maybe he thought there was no hope. I really wanted him to say yes. I really wanted him to say yes. But Jesus had to ask him if he wanted to be made whole. But one of the cool things about Jesus in this story is that Jesus didn't even acknowledge his excuses. He didn't even listen to him. He, he didn't say anything. He, didn't inter, he wasn't interested in his excuses. He wasn't interested in what he had to say. He only said, do you want to get well? Do you want to be restored? That's all he asked. He didn't ask for an explanation. And so Jesus actually had to ask that of someone. And we may think it's very bizarre, but maybe the man didn't want to get well. Maybe. Maybe his sickness had become his haven. Maybe he couldn't imagine life without his infirmity. 
for his issue. Maybe, maybe, if I could say this, not everyone wants to get well. Not everyone wants to be healed from their situation. Not everyone wants to be restored. We could say that it's natural to befriend your illness or your problem after such a long time. All of these people had their lives wrapped up in their illness or their disability, certainly in their physical lives, but also their emotional lives. Everything took shape around their illness and around their situation. Everything revolved around that. The man at the pool had 38 long years of monotony. Day in, day out, day in, day out, 38 years. 38 years of self-pity. 38 years of envy for everybody else who got restored and he didn't. 38 years of not working. 38 years of not going to church. 38 years of not traveling. 38 years of not having a family, not having a wife. 38 years without options. That's what he had. But then Jesus shows up, and there's a miracle, and he's restored. Amen? Hallelujah. That's the great part. You guys are awfully quiet. He's re but he's restored. His muscles work. He can walk. He can run. He can jump. I like to think that he got up and he danced and he shouted hallelujah and he, drew, he walked around the city and had a wonderful time. But now he had to work. He could marry. He could work. He could go to church. He could pay taxes. He was just like everybody else. He was no longer special. People no longer pitied him. And people no longer helped him. He didn't need their help. He had been restored. So the question becomes, do you want to get well? Do you want to be restored? It's a serious question. Restoration can rock our world. Everything that we've known in our life up to the point of restoration we know, it. we know how to operate within that. We know how to handle our emotions. We know how to deal with everything that comes our way. And restoration comes. Jesus shows up, and it all changes. Some people are scared at restoration. Some people are scared at the thought of being made whole. So the question, do you want to be restored? What if we held on to that? What if we have held on to has become our infirmity? Something that we've held on for so long has become our infirmity. It may be a physical illness or disability, and Jesus in a moment can restore your physical body. In a moment. I was just reminding uh, Pastor uh, Kent at lunch today that at Ninth and Cedar, back in the old, when it was the old, old building, on the old wooden pews, that the Lord restored my back in a moment. I had two ruptured discs. I made my way to church. I drug my illness to church. The church prayed for me that night, and more than 30 years later, I don't even ever have a backache. I don't have a muscle ache. I don't have anything. So I can stand here and testify that in a moment, the Lord can restore a physical infirmity. Amen? He can do it. We know he can. 
We know he can. But if that physical infirmity has become your identity, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? But what other things do we hold on to that have become our identity? This could be an endless list of things that we hold on to. Some abuse that happened 20 years ago that we still today feel like we're the victim. And that serves us well because this identity protects me. Because I'm still the victim, I'm not going to let anybody in. If Jesus were to restore me, I would have to let people into my life and then I could be hurt again. So do I want to get well? Do I want to be restored? What if 15 years ago somebody said something that hurt me to the core and I haven't been able to forgive them? But because I can't forgive them, I don't trust. Nor do I want to get close to anyone for fear of being hurt again. I stopped going to church because the, the, the offense happened in the church. If I get restored, I'm going to have to go back to church. I'm going to have to face those people who hurt me in the first place. Do we want to be restored? What if I'm divorced and feel that shame? And even though I've asked Jesus to forgive me of my part of sin in that, if there was, I still feel that shame. I'm a statistic. Do I want to be healed from that? Do I want to be restored from that? Or do I want to be able to say, yeah, I'm one of those who got divorced. The man was, was mean to me. You, it becomes who you are. It becomes your identity, the thing that you carry around. What if I had an abortion 20 years ago? I've confessed it. I've confessed the sin to the Lord, but I still deal with condemnation. Or whatever sin we may have committed 20 years ago that we're still beating ourselves up about today that has become our identity, that has become who we are, it's become our infirmity. I did so many things that maybe I have to keep working in the kingdom. I have to keep working to get Jesus to forgive me. I have to remind him all the time of the things that I've done. And Jesus, I'm doing this for you so that you can forgive me and so that you can love me. Your identity has become self-condemnation. Can I just say to you that if we're carrying around infirmities from the past, Jesus wants to heal us and restore us. If we have placed something under the blood because when we bring our sins confess our sins we're putting them under the blood of Jesus amen what can Jesus not do he cannot see through that blood he can't see what we've brought and put under that blood he can't see it anymore he can't see through his own blood. And so when you're constantly coming and saying, oh, Lord, forgive me for this that I did. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I really feel like that Jesus is like, they keep bringing this up to me, but I have no idea what they're talking about. He's forgotten it, guys. He has totally forgotten what we keep bringing to him. All we're really doing is wasting time. Because we don't, we don't want to be restored or we haven't been restored yet. And so we keep reliving and reliving and reliving when Jesus has covered it and he doesn't have any idea what we're talking about. I'm glad he doesn't know what I'm talking about. Amen? Now, I'm maybe going to meddle here a little bit with this one. But what if we need to be restored from an identity that involves a poverty mentality? Mm-hmm. 
A lot of times we stop the blessings of the Lord coming into our lives by our own words. I grew up in a poor family. I never had a chance to go to college. I can't get a good job now because I don't get to go to college. I have to live where I live because I don't, I don't have any money. Nobody in my family has any money. I, I, I'm going to live this way. I'm going to die this way. There's nothing. God can't even do anything for me because this is the way my life is. I get government help. I get assistance from the church sometimes, but there's, it's never enough. It's never enough. I just don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to give up my car. Maybe I'm probably going to have to give up my house. I'm going to have to move because I'm just poor and I can't get out of this. A lot of people that has become an identity. But let me tell you, Jesus can restore. Jesus can give you a house and give you two months or two years free rent. Yes, he can give you an apartment and two years free rent. He can give you a house and two years free mortgage. There is nothing impossible with him. But so many times we with our own words are blocking the blessings the Lord wants to give us. We block him. He wants to pour out the blessing. He wants to open the windows of heaven and pour out more than we can ask, think, or imagine, more than we can contain. He wants to do all of that, but we're saying, well, uh, my situation's never going to change. I've just always been this way. It's never going to happen. Come on. Let's, can I just be bold and say, stop it? Stop it. Stop trying to curse what the Lord is wanting to bless. Don't, don't curse your own life. Don't curse your own circumstances. Don't curse your own checkbook by your words. Stop that and let the Lord bless you. We have to get out of this mentality thinking that the Lord cannot bless us because he can. He can. So we have to, we have to look at the situations that we've lived with. We have to look at what do we have that needs restoration, that we may be afraid to have the Lord restore us because it's going to change our world. It's, dare I say, going to give you a testimony that you may have to go out and share with someone. You may have to talk about how the Lord has restored you and blessed you. These are tough things that we need to think about. What do I need to have restored? What am I carrying around? Whether physical illness, which the Lord can heal in an instant if he chooses to do so, or what am I baggage have I been carrying around that needs restoration that I have been afraid to allow the Lord to restore me from? What is it in there? None of us are whole and healed and perfect. None of us. We all have something that needs restoration. We all have something that needs restoration. There is no shame in coming to this altar for restoration. Are we family here, Pastor Kent? Do we love everybody here, Pastor Kent? Nobody come here, nobody's going to be judged. Nobody's going to be judged. There's people who are afraid to come to an altar because they're going to think what somebody's going to say. <laughs> I need Jesus more than I need what somebody's going to say. <laughs> I need that restoration more than I need to, to care about what somebody thinks. There is no shame in coming to an altar for the Lord. No shame whatsoever. There is shame in walking out the same way you came in. That's what the enemy wants. 
The enemy doesn't want you to get rid of anything. The enemy doesn't want you to be restored. My word, he wants to keep you exactly where you are. It gives him joy. <laughs> but you know, we, also, we, we should just hate the enemy enough to want to be restored. Amen? I hate him. I don't know about you guys. I hate him. I don't want him to have one foothold in my life. And so you should, you should want to be restored so that you can make the enemy mad if for no other reason. But there's absolutely no shame in coming to an altar. There is shame in not trusting the Lord with your heart and with your issues and with your problems. There is shame in that. That just shows that we don't trust him. If we're not willing to come and surrender our issues and our situations to him and allow him to restore us, then where's our faith? Where is our faith? There's shame in giving him excuses because he really doesn't want to listen to him. He proved that with the guy at the pool. I'm not listening to that. All he said was, do you want to be healed? He, and, then, and the guy starts offering excuses, and he says, come on, get up. I'm not listening to that. Just get up. I'm ready to restore you right here, right now. You don't have to keep talking to me. You don't have to keep giving me any kind of excuses. I'm ready right now to heal you. That's all Jesus is saying. That's all he's saying right now is, I'm just ready to heal you. I don't know why you're sitting back. I don't know why you're trying to give me these excuses, because I'm really not interested, and I'm not listening. He's ready to heal, and he's ready to, restore, to be, he's ready to restore you. We need a whole and restored church for what is coming. Amen? We need a whole and restored church for what is coming. It's going to be good. <laughs> and I don't want to miss out on anything because I've got some infirmity that's not allowing the Lord to use me as he would have as he would want to use me. We need a whole and restored church. We need a whole and restored church to defeat the enemy. If we're crippled in our spirit or in our emotions, how can we fight a powerful enemy? He, is, he does have power. Jesus is more powerful. But if we're not healed and whole and restored, can we tap into that power? the way that we need to. We need to be healed, we need to be whole, and we need to be restored to defeat the enemy. We do not need, as Christians, to be using spiritual crutches and wheelchairs. We don't. Man, you guys are quiet. <laughs> we don't need to be using spiritual wheelchairs and crutches. We need a healed and restored church to carry Jesus to a lost and dying world. That's the bottom line, church, is that we need to go out and get the people. We need to get them into the church. We need to get them saved. We need to pray for them in Walmart. We need to pray for them in the restaurants. We need to pray for them. People are dying and going to hell. Have we forgotten that? And if we are crippled and cannot win some to the Lord because of our, our infirmities... And we are not doing what the Lord has sent us here to do. It's not just the missionaries that are supposed to win people to the Lord. It's not just the pastor and the pastor's wife. It's not just the elders. It's all of us are called to win people to the Lord. All of us. But if we're not restored and whole and healed, how can we do that? How can we do that? 
We need to be restored. We need to be healed. This may be a little tough to hear and tough to digest. I don't know. I'm not, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. Like I said, this could be for one person in the house that the Lord says, I am ready to heal you. I am ready to restore you. I am ready to set you on the path where you can be jumping and rejoicing, even though it may rock your world. Your tomorrow will not be the same as your yesterday if I restore you tonight. We have to be prepared for that. But he wants to restore and he wants to heal and he wants to make whole every single one of us tonight. I have asked that the praise and worship team not come tonight. I've asked the technical people to put some music on. Uh, I'm going to have Brother Kent come. Because I want the Lord to have his way tonight. This is something that it could be very personal. You may not need anyone to pray for you. You may not need anyone to anoint you with oil and pray for you. But you may need that. If there's anyone sick in the house, we will anoint you with oil and pray for you and believe for complete healing. Amen. In the name of Jesus, I believe that. But you also may need to just come and confess to the Lord, I've carried this around for so long, but I want to be restored. And he can restore you while you're on your knees without anybody praying for you. So we're going to open these altars. I'm going to turn it to Pastor Kent, and he can instruct his team as he needs. But this is a time the, the world is lost and dying, and they need a whole and healed church. Amen. You know, the truth of the matter is, a lot of you are maybe even sitting out there under the condemnation because you said, she pegged me tonight. But the truth of the matter is that every single one of us in this building, somewhere along our journey, in our spiritual crippleness, has used it to our advantage of the flesh. Somehow, not wanting to let go of it, not wanting to face the reality that if the Lord does do this, there's responsibility, changes the world, but with that change comes also accountability and responsibility to move forward and get deeper and better and those kinds of things. I was praying for a man on Ninth and Cedar one time. A family had brought him up and I, the Lord was moving very strongly that morning. People were being healed all over the place. And I can remember reaching out my hand like that and he took off running backwards. And I thought, did the power of the Lord hit him? He said, don't touch me, don't touch me, don't touch me. I said, are you hurting? He said, no, I don't want to be healed. He said, if I get healed, I'm going to lose my social security check. And you know, you laugh at that, but we do that subconsciously sometimes in the spirit realm more than what we think. Because again, I loved what she said. If I get healed, I won't get the pity. If I get healed, I won't get the attention. If I get healed, I won't get the sympathy. If I get healed, I won't, I won't and we become spiritual cripples laying at the gate of possibility. And tonight, I don't care what need you have, small, big, healing, deliverance, whatever it is. I'm not gonna beg, I'm not gonna plead. I wanna know, do you wanna be made whole? God's a restorer, God's a healer. And I love this thing, this number one thing she said. In order for what God's got to do, we've got to have a whole church. It's got to be healthy. It's got to be whole. The tax on our bodies, what God's about to do in this place, the revival he's about to send is going to take 
uh, church, it's healthy. Can I have an amen? So tonight, if you'd stand, if you got a need, you want brothers and sisters to love with, uh, meet you down here and pray with you and love on you and to seek God for deliverance and healing or restoration, healing, whatever it may be, I want you to come. Don't be embarrassed. I need a healing in my back and I'm not giving up. I, I believe God's gonna heal me. Hey, can I have an amen? Tonight, the Lord wants to touch in this building tonight. There's a lot of needs. A lot of needs. But you gotta believe that God is a restorer. God will restore. In the book of Job, when she talked about the years that the caterpillar, the years that the, the caterpillar destroyed, it goes on about the canker worm and it goes on, all the different degrees to where if you'll follow those different parasites and worms and different things, the part of it damages the plant, part of it takes the root system away, and before it's done, it's totally annihilated. There's not one thing left of that plant. There's no survival or life whatsoever. But even then, God can resurrect from nothing, and he'll restore the years of all of that dreadful thing that's come upon your life. Hallelujah. A lot for the brothers and sisters with compassion, love, and mainly of all faith, Come up around these that have came and start praying for them. Ask them what their need is. Lay hands upon them and believe. There's people here with dire emergencies. There's people here that need a special touch. God's able to do it in the name of Jesus. Well, my elders and my staff, folks, I need you to come. I need you to work the altars. I need you to be aggressive in it. I need you to trust. And if you're one of those that are in need of it, then you come and let God restore you as well. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.